Trash box contains adult language and themes. Listener discretion is advised. What's good? What is good, everybody? And welcome to the Crash Box, a film enthusiast talking about films enthusiastically. I am your host, Russell V. Williams, and this is the Weekly Movie Newscast, where I search and compile the stories I find most interesting coming out of the film industry and give you my thoughts and observations on them. Outside of that, we're going to get into the top five grossing movies at the domestic box office and hit up a couple of your listener questions. If you want to get a question to me, just throw me an email at thecrashbox at gmail.com, any social media site, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, or Snapchat, all at the Crashbox, or on my website at thecrashboxpodcast.com. Whether you guys are veterans of the podcast or just started listening, but you guys dig what you're hearing, I want to show some support. Just pause this, head over to iTunes, and leave the show a five-star review. You could say whatever you want in the review. It doesn't matter as long as you leave a five-star rating with whatever you're typing up. I know it sounds small and insignificant on your part. It doesn't cost you a dime, but it helps to show out more than you possibly can imagine. So if you have the time, just pause the show really quick, head over to iTunes and leave the show a five-star review. So what's good, everybody? How was your weekend? I didn't get to make it out to the movies this weekend. I wanted to go see Assassination Nation. And there, let's be real, there hasn't been any big releases. I know people are looking forward to night school. And <laughs> I don't know who the fuck is looking forward to Smallfoot. But there is a few, one or two movies that you guys could go and check out. White Boy Rick, Peppermint, Crazy Rich Asians, The Nun. A simple favor, there are a bunch of cool little movies for you guys to check out even though it is the ending of September. What I did get to do was finally sit down and talk to my brother Edgar. Now Edgar is a family friend. We've known him for years. He is my brother's best friend but he's so close with the family that we just call him our brother. He is a part of the family that's just the way it is. Edgar's one of those people who likes to provoke. You know what? Actually, that's not accurate. I don't know if he likes to provoke people, but just the way his personality is set up is to go against the grain. That's the way his mind is built, is to think the opposite or to automatically look at the other person's point of view. So if everybody is saying the person is guilty, he's going to look at the reasons the person should be not guilty. It's this exact reason I love talking with him. There's always a debate, but an interesting one. He makes it interesting. He forces his opinion, whether you like it or not. Now, me and Edgar love talking with one another. We love debating with one another. So me or him will present a question or present a topic and we'll both go at it. So this particular day, he said something that caught me off guard. He said that he liked Justice League better than the Avengers, that Justice League was better than any Avengers movie. I disagreed, 
<laughs> but I sat there and listened to what he had to say. I heard his point of view. Here's where the debate started. He feels Justice League is better than any Avengers movie. I think he's a fucking mental patient. So we started discussing what each one of us thought about each film. The one topic he bring up, the one point he bring up that I told him he was a fucking lunatic on, he said that he felt the Justice League were working with one another a lot better than the Avengers did, that the Avengers didn't really focus on that. When I asked him to elaborate, he said teamwork. The way they show Batman working with Aquaman, Aquaman working with The Flash, Wonder Woman doing this, essentially them working with one another to complete a goal. I started voicing my opinion maybe a little too loudly and energetically. Right in the very first one, right when the Chitari are attacking New York. You see that one sweeping shot that shows Hawkeye shooting the arrow, the arrow going to, I forgot who it goes to next, but then you see the Hulk and Thor working with one another. You see the Hulk put down like that big piece of metal, Thor using his hammer to hammer that shit in. Then you see, I forgot, it drops down. I just know there's a part where Iron Man uses his particle beam and shoots it off a of Cap's fucking shield. And there's just a whole bunch of examples on how they were working together. But let's go back to the comics. The reason the Avengers is such a badass squad is because they don't get along. They're a bunch of heroes that are used to working by themselves. They're not used to having anybody giving them orders or them having to care about another person's feelings in the middle of a fight. You may not see much of it in Infinity War because of the brilliant narrative decision from the Russo brothers to take the large Avengers team, break them into much smaller groups so you could be able to tell the story better. Instead of having all of these characters on screen at once, now you could concentrate on these smaller groups and tell the story that way. So you could shoot them separately. You could shoot Iron Man and Doctor Strange over here. You could shoot the Guardians over there, Thor and Rocket over there. And then you have all of these scenes and then just put them together as you need the story to move forward. It's brilliant. Let me get back to the point. Teamwork in the Avengers. Now, like I said, we may have not seen much of it in Infinity War, but we've seen a metric fuck ton in Ultron. Ultron may have been the weakest of the three Avengers films, but to say that movie's bad, go fuck yourself, no way. That end scene with Scarlet Witch, Vision, Captain America, Iron Man, everybody was getting busy ripping apart hundreds of Ultrons. Come on, no teamwork? Fuck you, Edgar. <laughs> oh my god. All right, now let me get to the other point. He bring up something else. He bring up another point. Well, at least not another point. But he bring up something that made me at least want to rethink the way I look at just You know what? Not rethink the way I look at Justice League. I need to give Justice League another chance. I only seen Justice League once and as time went on, when I first seen it, I thought it was okay. It didn't feel like a Justice League movie though. It felt like they were just, just trying to be too much like Marvel and I know that's gonna rub some of you the wrong way but come on, I love DC. I loved their dark universe and the way they were building it. And to see 
that, it just, it fucking irked me. But the point he made was that he felt that Steppenwolf was a much better villain than Ultron. He felt that it was a much better villain than Loki. I told him he's absolutely fucking wrong. And then he told me, what was it about Steppenwolf? Why didn't I like him in the film? I was like, he didn't earn it. He didn't earn that screen time to bring all of them together. And it, it was in that moment that I caught myself. He didn't earn the screen time? Really? Weren't you the asshole last year saying that they don't need to bring the team together in their own individual movies, then bring them together for one big villain? Weren't you the asshole who said that they should actually start with a Justice League movie and then start branching out into the individual hero films? Marvel did tease Thanos in a bunch of different movies, but if we take up all of his screen time and every time he was mentioned before Infinity War, it's like maybe what, two and a half minutes? Why couldn't DC introduce Steppenwolf in a single movie and make him that ultimate badass that forces the Justice League together. It made me rethink things. I'm going into Justice League now with a completely different mindset. I'm going in looking at Justice League for Justice League, not looking at it comparing it to Marvel or what it was supposed to be and me stop living in the fucking past. Oh, Batman and Superman was so dark and I loved it. Yeah, I'm making fun of myself because I, I hear what I'm doing. I'm sitting there pissed off about something that no longer exists. Yes, Man of Steel was awesome. Batman vs Superman and Wonder Woman were awesome. They had a dark, gritty world to them. But that doesn't exist anymore. And I need to stop feeling fucking salty about it. Stop being pissed off about it. As much as I have been waiting for that, taking it dead fucking seriously with a dark, mature tone. It doesn't exist anymore. And I need to stop being pissed off with the way things are moving forward. They're trying their best at this moment. Now, if they fuck up in the future, I could be mad at whatever mistakes they make in the, but judge them on what they are in the future, not what they were in the past. Well, that was my weekend, but I know what I did this weekend because I lived it. I wanna hear about your weekend. Did you guys go to the movies? Did you guys see Assassination Nation? Did you go and see Night School, Smallfoot, a house with a clock in its walls? <laughs> Hit me up, let me know. Whether you're throwing me an email at thecrashbox.gmail.com or any social media site. I'm mostly on Instagram, but I'm on every single network, all at the Crash Box. Now that we got all that out the way, let's boogie over to the box office. All right, coming in at number one is the new Tiffany Haddish Kevin Hart film, Night School, bringing in $28 million domestically, $33 million worldwide on a $29 million budget. I am not a fan of Kevin Hart, so I had no desire to see this movie. I haven't seen Girls Trip yet, and it's not because I don't want to, it's because every time I go and sit down, I wanna watch something else. Sometime over the next couple of weeks, I will sit down and watch Girls Trip so I could gauge how much I like Tiffany Haddish's comedy. I'm really finicky when it comes to my comedy though. 
I like classic Eddie Murphy, Richard Pryor, Bill Burr, Bernie Mac, Jim Jeffries. Those are the people I find funny. I can't judge her on this because I'm not a fan of Kevin Hart, but I could sit down and watch Girls Trip and see why the world started paying attention to her. Coming in at number two is the animated film Smallfoot. This movie has a shit ton of talent in it. Channing Tatum, Danny DeVito, Gina Rodriguez, LeBron James, Common Zendaya. My God. And they have been promoting the hell out of this movie. And it did pretty good for a movie in September. The movie bring in $23 million domestically, $38 million worldwide with no budget listed. Now I haven't seen it so I can't speak on how good it is, the animation quality or how funny or charming it is. Maybe I'll catch this when there's absolutely nothing to watch or if Warner Brothers decides to put out a really dope 3D Blu-ray I'll go and pick it up. Or if one of you seen it, if you guys seen it, hit me up and let me know what you guys thought about it. Coming in at number three is the family fantasy film, A House with a Clock in Its Walls. In its second weekend, bringing in $12 million, $44 million domestically, $53 million worldwide on a $42 million budget. I found out something interesting about this movie. Well, something that I think is interesting. Eli Roth directed this film. Eli Roth, Mr. Green Inferno, Mr. Hostel. When you say Eli Roth, family fantasy film isn't the first thing that comes to your head. I guess he's playing the studio game now? Trying to be a full-time actor, director, or something in the film industry and trying to have some artistic integrity is really fucking difficult. Cause you are gonna have to do something to get yourself known for people to pay attention to you. And you may have to take a role you don't like just so you could be able to get a paycheck. I'm sure Eli Roth is doing this film so he could be able to be considered for a bigger project or at least a more interesting one. Or fuck it, maybe he just wanted to do something different. Coming in at number four is a simple favor in its third week, bringing in $6.6 million. $43 million domestically, $62 million worldwide. Not fucking bad, but they don't list the budget, so we don't know how much it costs. But I can't imagine this movie costing more than $25 million to make. Look at the trailer and tell me I'm wrong. It looks interesting, though. It looks like a really interesting, uh, a psychological thriller, a crime drama. A mystery? I don't know. You guys look up the trailer. Tell me what you think about it. If you have a better classification, hit me up. And rounding out the top five is The Nun with $5 million in its fourth week. The movie's been out for a month and it's still in the top five. Domestically, it stands at $109 million. Worldwide at $330 What's dope though, when you take The Nun and compare it to other movies within its universe, The Conjuring 1 and 2, Annabelle 1 and 2, and then now The Nun, The Nun is the highest grossing film out of all of them. That's right. The Nun is now the highest grossing film within The Conjuring universe. I think that's pretty badass and I still haven't fucking seen it. 
All right, let's run them down. Number one, night school. Number two, small foot. Number three, a house with a clock in its walls. Number four, a simple favor. And number five is The Nun. And that, ladies and gentlemen, is your top five grosser movies at the domestic box office. Now, let's hit up the news. First up, Creed 2 finally dropped its first full trailer. Now, we got a teaser trailer a couple months ago, which was cool, but we didn't get a feel for what the story was and how they were going to be shaping it. The movie drops November 21st, and here we are at the ending of September with our first full trailer, and we finally get to see how this movie is shaping out. And holy shit, this... I'm not gonna lie, Did, to me, I'm more excited for this one than I was for the first one. Cause we seen two boxing movies that year. We had, um, oh my God, what was the other one with Jake Gyllenhaal? Southpaw. We had Southpaw and Creed. A lot of people thought Creed was gonna be corny. I didn't feel that way. You had Ryan Coogler who worked with Michael B. Jordan on Fruitville Station, which if you didn't cry during that film, you have no emotion. Sylvester Stallone didn't even want to greenlight the first Creed. Ryan Coogler went up to him with the idea of Creed and the basic outline of the story. Sylvester Stallone was like, nah, I'm good. It wasn't until Sylvester Stallone is at home one day and he just happens to watch Fruitville Station, looks up the director, remembers that's the dude who tried to pitch him Creed, then automatically greenlit was like, fuck it, do it, I'm totally on board with it. Anybody who was a fan of the first Creed got worried when we heard that Ryan Coogler wasn't coming back to direct it. Ryan Coogler was obviously a big reason why that movie was as good as it was. I'm just happy from seeing this first trailer that Stephen Capel Jr. seems to be the perfect person to succeed Ryan Coogler. The first thing I noticed about the film is how beautiful it looks. This doesn't feel like a cheap studio cash grab that they're just pushing it out the door hoping on a good return from everybody who enjoyed the first film. When I first heard about the story, I got worried. Alright, let's get this straight. First, we got Apollo Creed's son fighting for the title. Alright, he's making his way through it. Now in the sequel, ooh, we got Ivan Drago's son. That sounded so fucking stupid. When you're looking at it back when they first announced it, it to me, it sounded so fucking retarded. It sounded like a cheap studio cash grab. A sequel that they just pushing out the door hoping on a good return from the goodwill the first film created. We're not getting into a typical sequel here, or a typical sports movie, or a typical boxing movie. Even though I wouldn't know what a typical boxing movie would look like, we are going to be getting into Adonis' psyche, how he deals with fame, having a new family, Rocky being sick, and then now, you got the son of the dude that murdered your father challenging you to a fight and everybody talking about it. That has got to fuck with somebody on an emotional level, on the basest level. That has got to hit you. You have all of this pressure coming from all around you. 
You have to worry about how you're going to support your family. How are you going to look to your father if you lose this fight? What if this dude hurts you? Like permanently hurts you? And Rocky even brings that up. His father broke things in me that still haven't been fixed. Like Jesus, that line alone. You get the typical training montages on how things are similar and somehow different at the same time. You hear Rocky say that boy has been grown in a world of hate. Drago's son also has a lot of pressure on him. His father is his trainer. Imagine being in that situation every day. His father telling him, I beat his father, so if you lose this fight, you're not my son. His trainer, the person training him, is the reason we grew up poor. I lost the title because of him. Or whatever fucking crazy shit that they're gonna come up with. This is what's making me so amped about this movie, is how serious they're taking it. They're not going the, the, remember when Rocky 3 came out or Rocky 4, when you first seen it, comparing it to the first two, the first two Rockies were dead serious dramas with a boxing match at the end of it and a training montage thrown in there. Then the third and fourth one got really campy. If I didn't see them when I did as a kid, I wouldn't like them now. As a kid, I fucking loved them. As an adult, the first two Rocky films are the ones that I continuously go back to. They're serious dramas that don't feel like they were made in a particular time period. It looks like it takes place in a particular time period, but it doesn't feel that way because the things that they're dealing with, the drama and the pressure that Rocky and Adrian and everybody else in the cast are going through are stuff that we can relate to. It's stuff that we find captivating as an audience. When you get into the third and fourth one, it just gets like campy and almost superhero-ish. And that's what I love about this trailer. It feels like they're taking it as serious as they took Rocky too. We're gonna get more of Adonis and how living as a legacy fighter impacts his life and the way he fights and approaches each match. How living in his father's shadow shapes the way he sees the world and the way his personality is. Then you got Rocky telling him, look, I held your father in my hands as he was dying. That's got to be fucking crazy. I hate tear jerking movies. I stay away from them as much as I can. But here, I have a feeling this is not only going to be a great sports drama, it's going to be a great drama. Next! Check this out. Fox had the fucking nerve to give us a release date for Gambit. Now the release date is March 13th, 2020. Now, if they had things in place, I would be really excited for this, even with all the false starts before. But there still is no director, no script. Why are you making an announcement? Wait until you have everything in place. When you're ready to begin production, that's when you could start making announcements. Not when you've already made so many false promises, false starts. I mean, you guys ran through Gore Verbinski, Doug Lyman. 
I mean, is Channing Tatum still even a part of this franchise? I have absolutely no intention of getting excited for this film until they get their shit together. Next! This next story is for everybody who actually thinks there's a brand new Deadpool movie coming out in December. There is not a new Deadpool movie coming out. So please stop sending me messages and links to articles that you guys obviously did not read. Now, while each one of those articles came from a credible source, if you guys took the time to read it, you would see that it's a new cut of Deadpool 2. What they're doing is recutting the film for a PG-13 rating so more people could go and see it. They're giving people under the age of 17 the opportunity to go and see Deadpool. What they're going to be doing is taking out as many curses as they can, toning down a lot of the grotesque violence, and I don't even remember there being any over-the-top sex scenes in there. That's it. That's what they're doing. They're just recutting Deadpool 2 for an audience under 17. Next! Birds of Prey is finally filling out their cast. We already knew we were going to get Margot Robbie returning as Harley Quinn. What we didn't know is who was going to be playing Black Canary and Huntress. Now we do. Mary Elizabeth Winstead. That's right, Ramona from Scott Pilgrim and who was just in Fargo, which I'm re-watching now, just got cast as Huntress. Black Canary, we have Journey Bell. She has a middle name in there that I'm not going to begin to try and pronounce. If you have never heard of Journey, don't fret, neither have I up until now. She did have roles in The Great Debaters, Hands of Stone. She did have a reoccurring character on the show Friday Night Lights, but I've never watched that, so I wouldn't know. I want to get excited for this film, but I can't. I can't until I see some sort of stability, some sort of focus and vision from DC or even Warner Brothers. Whether this movie is going to fit in to the DCEU, the new DCEU, or even if it's going to be some self-contained story like the Joker, I need to see the look, the tone. If this is its own separate movie in its own universe, you're going to have to let us know that sooner, not later. Next! I wasn't originally going to talk about this considering how much I dislike the franchise, but that new Bumblebee trailer is so good! First, Haley Steinfeld is an absolutely charming actress. I love her in whatever she is in. And here, it feels like that lost puppy who meets the misunderstood teen who's a complete outcast in her school and them two become friends. Actually, it feels a lot like E.T. Even though I haven't seen E.T. since I was like eight, the storyline that they're presenting in this trailer already feels better than any other Transformers movie. And I know that's not saying much, but it really does feel like it has this heart to it. Usually, I stay away from heartfelt movies, movies that are meant to pull on your heartstrings like that. I can't stay away from this film though. It's too big. 
Michael Bay is a master at directing action. There are very few people in Hollywood that could compete with him. But when he started doing the Transformers films, it's like half of them were really well thought out, well planned action scenes, and the other half were really sloppily put together action scenes like like they were trying to be born. And it didn't help that most of the Decepticons all looked alike. It was only the main villains that actually took a unique shape and color. Yeah, let's talk about the look and design of these Transformers. All of them, every single one of them have the classic look to them. And I didn't realize how much I missed that or how much the franchise was missing that. Maybe if the trailer wasn't so well put together, it wouldn't have impacted me as hard as it did, but it really did. Seeing classic Prime, classic Bumblebee, it was fucking great. There's this great action shot right towards the ending of the trailer where Haley Steinfeld's character is running towards the camera, but the camera keeps moving and you just see Bumblebee and another Decepticon beating the shit out of each other right behind her. And you see like shit falling and debris flying everywhere. It looks amazing. This trailer is so well put together that it's actually giving me hope for the franchise. I'm actually hoping this film, that this Bumblebee film reboots the entire franchise. I would like for this single film to start a whole new slew of Transformers films where they hire new writers and directors for each of them. And it seems Travis Knight, the only other directing credit he has is Kubo and the Two Strings. And yes, Kubo and the Two Strings was awesome and the action scenes in that movie were fucking awesome. But here he is working on this massive project and it seems like, yeah, I can do this. It seems effortless for him because that's how good it looks. The classic look of the Transformers, the war for Cybertron, you actually get to see it. You're seeing them beef, Optimus Prime and everybody else on Cybertron telling B like, yo, hold it down on Earth. We're gonna be up here busting shit up and just wait for us there. Just don't let anything happen. Oh, oh, I get it. I remember, shit. I remember the report a couple months ago where Travis Knight and everybody from the production was saying that you're finally gonna see the War for Cybertron, that all the Transformers are gonna have a classic look, that the movie is very reminiscent of E.T. and the classic 80 movies in that genre. Now I get it. I understand what they're saying. This shit looks good, man. If you guys were worried about the Transformers franchise and you guys got a bit discouraged with the previous films, I'm telling you, go check out Bumblebee, the new trailer, trailer two or trailer one or whatever it's called. It's not the teaser. The movie drops December 21st and I am fucking excited for it. Next! And finally, we got both good news and bad news if you were looking forward to X-Men Dark Phoenix. Now let's talk about the good news. The good news is the trailer dropped. It is fucking awesome. I didn't know how it was going to feel with Michael Fassbender, 
James McAvoy and Jennifer Lawrence returning. Now, I really don't give a shit about Jennifer Lawrence. I don't care about Mystique. And they keep writing her into these movies like she is something important. And she's not. And I'm not just talking about that because I read the comics when I was growing up. I'm talking about she is probably the least interesting character in this canon. She has a dope power. But there are so many more interesting characters that they could be focusing on. I mean, Xavier being played by James McAvoy and Michael Fassbender's Magneto, those two, their performances are the reason I keep coming back to the X-Men films. You know what? The X-Men franchise, well, at least as a first class, really reminds me of the Daniel Craig Bond films. You had Casino Royale, which was great. You had Quantum of Solace, that was eh. Then you had Skyfall, which was great. Then you had Spectre, which was eh. And to me, the X-Men films as a first class kind of follow that same formula, but in reverse. You had X-Men First Class, which wasn't bad, it was all right. Then you had Days of Future Past, which is one of the great comic book films of this era. Then you get to Apocalypse, which is supposed to be their Thanos. Apocalypse is their main nemesis. He is that dude. And it was just, uh, there was so much potential there. They had this fresh young cast being ushered in by the second generation. It was, it was supposed to be so good and it was just average. I'm not going to say it was bad because I know I've been saying that lately, but it wasn't bad. It was just disappointing. It was average. And that, that is disappointing in of itself. But Michael Fassbender in this trailer, when he's talking and it ju you just can't help but to be drawn into his character. I love him playing Magneto. James McAvoy seems to be going through some shit. They are all guilt tripping him. From the moment the trailer starts, everybody's pointing their finger at Professor X like, the fuck do you do? What's wrong with her? Fix her, goddammit. We do see a lot of stuff that they tried touching on in previous films, not just the Phoenix Saga, but the partitions that Xavier put in her mind to protect her from herself just winded up holding all that shit in and now it's breaking the barriers like a dam that's overflowing it's scary when you got somebody with that much power and honestly sophie fucking turner if you don't watch game of thrones her character's arc throughout those seasons is absolutely incredible and i have such a deep respect for her as an actress because she was able to take the character from one place and believably bring her on this journey through all these different scenarios and fucked up positions that she was put in. So her being the focus of this film, I'm totally on board with. I know she has the range and the capability of carrying this film if she needs to. Jessica Chastain, she's in the trailer for like a second. And then you hear her voice talking to Jean like, yo, they don't know you. 
they don't know how you are, how you feel, and what you can do, girl. You need to come over to my side. I'll treat you better. Oh, my God. I love Jessica Chastain. And no matter what she's in, I'm going to watch. Her coming on to this project, though, along with, with Fassbender's really quick Magneto scenes, James McAvoy's Xavier scenes, with Sophie Turner's turn as the Dark Phoenix. Speaking of Dark Phoenix, I noticed there's no X-Men in the title. It's just called Dark Phoenix. I mean, the X at the end does have a circle around it, but they are going the Logan route. They're not falling back on branding it X-Men. Hopefully that means they have confidence in what this movie is and how well it turned out. From the outside looking in, after seeing that single trailer, it's just coming together really well. And Simon Kinberg is normally a writer and a producer. I was really worried about him coming onto this project on not having enough experience to be able to tell the story or at least direct the story in an interesting way. And that seemed like I'm not worried about that anymore. Now I'm worried about it hooking me in the way Apocalypse did. I was all for Apocalypse. I was sitting there hailing X-Men Apocalypse like it was going to be the next great comic book film. We're finally going to see X-Men fight their nemesis and we got Brian Singer directing and he just coming off of Days of Future Past. This is going to be fucking great. It was disappointing. Now we got Simon Kidberg and he seems to have his shit together. Everybody seems to have their shit together. And Fox seems to want to put this in the right direction moving forward. I said before, we don't need Jennifer Lawrence. And if I'm honest, we don't really need James McAvoy and Michael Fassbender as Magneto and Xavier either. As much as I love them, we don't need them. Let the new cast shine on their own. They have enough talent to go around. Between Sophie Turner, Alexandra Shipp, and Ty Sheridan alone, those three are able to have the attention on them on a much larger scale, at least more than they did in Apocalypse. I know Apocalypse was meant to end the second generation's run. And it was an interesting run, or at least an interesting experiment. You had the 60s, 70s, and 80s. It was a dope concept. And for the most part, it was executed well, even if they didn't stick the landing. But now here we got Dark Phoenix, and we have this fresh young cast, and we need to let them start doing shit on their own. We need to have more attention focused on them. And that is it for the news. Now, let's hit up a couple of your questions. All right, since most of the questions had to deal with Deadpool and the rest of them had to deal with topics that I already covered, I figured I'd pick two questions that are technical questions, but I figured it would be interesting to talk about. All right, first up is from Peter on Instagram, and he asks... Can you do this show more frequently? Well, thank you, Peter, for the question. And I would love to do this show more often. But there needs to be a balance. During the week, I'm writing down headlines and stories. So when it comes time for me to record that day, 
I'm sitting there and picking the stories I want to talk about the most. I have a big selection of topics to talk about. If I release the show more frequently, I won't have as many things to talk about and I don't ever want it to get to a point where I'm having to stretch and, and find things to talk about. This show, I originally planned it for Monday, Wednesday, and Friday. After producing the first week, the first two shows, I was like, yep, yeah, I'm gonna stick to once a week. Cause one, it was really difficult for me to put an episode together. And two, to try and find things to talk about so often, then to record, then to edit, then to post, it was just too much for me at the time. I mean, I could probably do it now, but I just don't have the resources to do it, or, or not the resources, because I got the studio and everything in place. It's just, I don't have the time to do it. Now, the new show is going to be coming out in January, and I hope that kind of tides you over, but it won't be a new show. It's just going to be a movie topic show, so I'll be talking about The Town or Heat or a debate about which is better, Justice League or The Avengers, and... That's the way that show is going to follow. This is going to remain more or less a movie news show. And I think that's better for all of us. I hope that answers your question, Peter. And next up is from Evan, also on Instagram. And he asks, what kind of recording equipment do you use? Thank you, Evan, for the question. And uh, as far as hardware goes, I have an, a studio boom arm from Rode. I think it's called the PSA-1. I use the Rode Podcaster mic with a windscreen on top of it. And I have it on its the shock mount that it comes with, the PSM shock mount. I have two monitors, one 21-inch, one 23-inch, one from HP and one from Lenovo. I have a Logitech wireless keyboard. I have a Shuttle Pro V2 multimedia editing controller and a Logitech MX Master Mouse. Now, as far as software is concerned, the software I use to record the podcast and to edit the podcast, I use a program called WavePad. Now, WavePad works really well for me because it is a pretty robust program while keeping everything really simple and straightforward. Every single time I need to do something new, the program has it there in place. And I can't explain how awesome it is to have something like that in place for when I need it. And when I'm ready to put the show together after I already edit the show, I bring it into a program called MixPad and it's made by the same company that makes WavePad. They work in conjunction with one another. So if I need one or the other and I need to pass files between the two of them, it works seamlessly. So when I need to add the transition, the intro, outro, all the special little sound effects and stuff, I do in MixPad because it allows me multi-track recording and then I get to export it as an MP3 and then upload it to my server. Now, the one negative thing I have to say about both of these programs or the company itself, I should say, is that you have to pay for each license. So you could only have the program on one computer and you could only move it so many times. I think they allow you once, maybe twice a year, but 
you could only have the program active on one computer. So if you move it, you better keep it on that other computer until the next time you're able to move it comes up. I had to buy the program twice, each program twice. So I had to buy WavePad and MixPad twice. I usually record in the studio, then put the show on a flash drive and edit it on another computer. If they were to come out with some sort of cloud licensing solution, I would suggest this program without hesitation. But until then, I always gotta do that with a little asterisk, like it's awesome, but... Well, I hope that answers your question, Evan, and all right, let's wrap this shit up. I would like to thank all of you for tuning in this week. I would like to thank Evan and Peter for writing in. If you want your question answered on the show, just throw me an email at thecrashbox at gmail.com or any social media site, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, or Snapchat, all at the Crashbox. And now that you're at the end of the show, why not head over to iTunes and leave the show a five-star review? All right, guys, girls, and all you awesome bastards in between, remember... Don't get bogged down by bullshit. Life is better in the abstract. I'm up out of here. Peace. One love. L-A-T-A. Chicka block.